Good morning, church. How's everybody doing this morning? I am impressed. You took one less hour of sleep, and you still chose to get up and worship God this morning. So give yourself a clap on the back. There are people who said, that's too daunting a task, but not you guys. So I'm very proud of you. So uh, we are beginning the season of Lent, and no, I'm not talking about the stuff that you find in your pocket. It's a very strange word, but it means the 40 days of preparation that the early church took to prepare their hearts and minds for the death of Jesus and his resurrection, because we are an Easter people. And so the church has, throughout its time, said this is an important time for us to seek clarity on our faith and prepare our hearts and minds. It was a time when folks who wanted to join the church, who were non-believers, would take a time of preparation and learn what it meant to be Christian and be baptized on Easter. Imagine if every Easter we just had people lining up to be baptized. That's what the early church did. It was also a time when people who had fallen out from the church would be brought back into the church and forgiven and loved and part of the family. So it's an important time. So I want to invite you, if you haven't already, to think about what God is calling you to give up in your life so that you can grow closer to God. Now, this is, this is not a time to get better habits. This is not a time to take on a diet, to quit smoking, stop drinking, unless it's something that God is calling you to give up. This is something to give up so that you can grow closer to God. Something that will be a sacrifice, something that will be a little bit difficult so that you can make space for God as you fast. A, a great way of doing this is also to take something on. Sacrifice some of your time so that you spend more time with God and truly take these 40 days to prepare your hearts and minds for God, what God is wanting you to do. I want to invite you to pray with me before we begin. Holy God, we are gathered in this space to praise you, to lift our hearts to you. God, even though it's imperfect, know that we give you this mighty act of worship and love. And because you are so awesome, God, you equip us and fill us up with the power of your Holy Spirit and send us out into the world with this power. God, we love you and we serve you and we pray the prayer that your son taught us. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil, for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Every once in a while with the church, I like to take things that we do that are part of our tradition and kind of unpack it and explore it as a church. And Lent is a great time to do that. And so we're going to be talking about the creed, the Apostles' Creed, over the next 40 days, and you will have the opportunity to join with me on a Bible study. We're doing a little different on Facebook. There's a Facebook group. You just search Rockbridge Online Bible Study, The Creed. You can join in. I'm going to record a video each week, and then every day throughout the week, I'll post a question, and then you just respond to the question. But it does require some interaction with saying, I'm going to commit to responding to these questions, to getting on there and, and making that happen. Because just like anything else, even though it's an online community, it's community, and you, you have to bring something to the table. So we'll be doing that. So in the creed, the very first word is the word credo, which literally means I believe. I think everyone believes in something, whether it's silly or profound. I believe every single year the Texas Rangers are going to win the World Series. That's not going to happen, but I still can believe it. 
Our beliefs are deeply held convictions about how we see the world, whether that's about politics or science or faith. And so I want you to turn to your neighbor, and I want you to share one thing that you believe, one conviction that you have right now. So go ahead. I'm going to yeah, make you feel uncomfortable. Find somebody, turn to your neighbor, share one deeply held belief or conviction. All right, does anyone want to shout out their belief or conviction that they shared? Anybody? What? Anybody want to share their belief or conviction? Yeah, Logan. My belief is that Chevy makes the best vehicles on this side of the world. <laughs> Chevy makes the best, best vehicles. That's about with my Rangers prediction, though. You know, it's not highly likely. Any other beliefs? Yeah. I, you know, I, I think that's much closer to being true than what Logan said. We can all agree, as, as Joey said, we can all agree on that. Well, we have a set of profound beliefs as Christians. And so the earliest church developed these things called creeds as statements of faith. They actually, the very first creed was the simple statement, Jesus is Lord. Then there was the uh, creed developed out of make disciples of Jesus Christ, uh, or baptizing them in the name of Jesus Christ. Um, through all the nations, right? In the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And then later, there was something called the Old Roman Symbol that developed in the second and third century. And by the fourth century, we had the Apostles' Creed that we have today that we share. So what's really cool about when we stand in unison and we share this together, we're uniting with Christians, not just around the world, but throughout time and stating what we believe. Christians throughout time have said, these are the essential the essential beliefs, the very basics that you need to believe to be a Christian. We need some sort of baseline to say, you know, this is what it means to be a Christian, right? We can't just all believe something different. It's fine if we disagree on some things, but these are the essentials. These are the core things that hold us together, and that's why it's so important for us to discuss this. Also, our mission as a church is to make disciples of Jesus Christ for the Right, and our vision is bridging people to Jesus, the rock, through relationships with disciples who love, learn, and launch. Y'all need to learn that one too. And our goal this year is to introduce 100 new people to Jesus through our actions, our words, and our deeds. But one of the things that's going to happen as you encounter someone who maybe doesn't have a faith but is interested, now we never want to beat anyone up with a Bible. We're not going to be those Christians that just throw our Bibles at people, right? That happens. But we are the type of people that want to invite people into relationship. These non-believers are going to have questions. And so you guys need to have the basics down, right? You guys need to know what it is that you believe so that you can walk with someone and help them explore their faith. You know, I love Josh. This is something that Josh is incredibly passionate about. And so he'll talk your ear off on all these things if you want him to. So if you want to learn more, talk to Josh. But we need a core set of beliefs that we can point people to about God. And so that's what we're going to do over the next 40 days. We're going to talk about our core beliefs so that we all kind of have that foundation so that when we have those opportunities at work, at school, in the park, at the grocery store, that we can invite people into relationship with Jesus. So we say, I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker 
of heaven and earth. Again, this is a very short line, but it's an incredibly profound statement that I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. Because in this one statement, just like our Lord's Prayer, where it says, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. It talks about these two very important natures of God that we have to keep before us when we talk about God. That God is almighty, and yet God is also our Father. I believe in God, our Father. You know, that implies that we are to have an intimate relationship with God. Whenever I talk about God as Father, there's a couple things that I like to mention. One, not everybody has a great relationship with their dad, and I understand that. But the wonderful thing about God being our Father is that even if we have a terrible Father on this side of heaven, we have a God who wants to be a great Father, a loving Father for you. And we also have a church that will step in and help be that Father for you. The second thing I like to say is we all know rationally, right, that God isn't male, Can we all agree on that? God is not male. Sometimes we use male pronouns because that's what we've done throughout history. So when we say God is father, we really mean that God is that holy parent. God is father. God is mother. And sometimes the Bible even talks about feminine aspects of God. Like in the Hebrew text, wisdom, uh, the word Sophia in Greek, uh, in, in, in Hebrew, is a slightly different word, but it means wisdom, Right? And so that is a feminine aspect of God. So we also see that God has both male and female characteristics. So yes, women, I'm telling you that y'all are wiser than your husbands, okay? (laughs) And it also tells us in Genesis that we are created in the image of God, male and female, God created us. So our maleness and our females are not the aspect of God, but God is our father. That is the role that God plays in our life. God is someone who loves you like a parent is supposed to love you, with perfect love. God is a person who's going to guide you, and God is a person who's going to discipline you when you stray from the path, lovingly, just like a father would. So God is someone who is personal, that we can relate to, just like we relate to our father who is in on earth. We can relate to our father in heaven. But then it also says, I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. Think about what that is saying. We believe that God is almighty, all-powerful, all-knowing, that God is everywhere. One person said that you cannot truly know God, you can only encounter God. Now, we can know God. God reveals God's self to us, but we can't fully know. Our minds can't handle the expanse of who God is. We can only encounter God, and we're so thankful that God allows us to encounter. Our first scripture that we're going to look at is from Exodus chapter 3, verse 13 and 14. This is what it says. But Moses said to God, if now I come to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your ancestors has sent me, they're going to ask me, what's this God's name? What am I supposed to say to them? And God said, I am who I am. So you say to the Israelites, I am has sent me to you. So in this story, Moses is going about his day He's a shepherd. He's taking his sheep. This is long after he was a prince in Egypt, and he's been kicked out. He's a murderer, and he's gone to this other land, and he's taking his sheep, and all of a sudden, he hears the voice of God. And if you've ever seen you know, the movie Prince of Egypt, you know this scene very well. He hears the voice of God, and he tracks it down, and all of a sudden, he finds a bush that is on fire. These stories are crazy, right? A bush that is on fire but is not burnt up. And he starts to approach, but then God says, take off your shoes for you are standing on 
holy ground. Because when we approach God, we are standing on holy ground. So I think uh, all of us just need to go ahead and kick off our shoes, right, and, uh, and come to bare feet because we are standing on holy ground because we are worshiping our God. But he says something interesting. Moses says, who do I tell them you are? And God says his name. I am who I am. Now, what's interesting is this is not actually the correct translation of, the verse of, of that word because we don't know how to translate it. It's just the best that we can possibly do. It's four letters in the original Hebrew, Y-H-W-H, and they kind of think it means I am who I am. And elsewhere in the, in the text, you'll see, whenever you see Lord in caps, that's when you know it's this particular name of God. So that's a little trick you can see. Oh, this Lord, this is talking about Yahweh. I'm going back to Exodus 13 and 14. Our best understanding of what this actually means is God is saying, I am who I am, I was who I was, I will be who I will be, this unchanging, powerful nature of God. In Revelation, we hear something similar about Jesus, the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. God is all-powerful. God existed before time. God exists outside of time. God created everything. Everything was created in and through God. And God is the maker of heaven and earth. This is what Nehemiah 9.6 tells us. You alone are the Lord. Again, that's that Yahweh, because all in caps. You alone are the Lord. You alone made heaven even the heaven of heavens with all their forces. You made the earth and all that is on it and the seas and all that is in them. You preserve them and the heavenly forces worship you. This is God who's amazing. When we say God is almighty, God wants to be our king. You know, God never wanted the Jewish people to have a king. They said, no, God, we don't just want you to be our king. We want a human king. And God warns them, you know, kings are going to take your sons for soldiers. A king's going to take your wealth. The king is going to take your daughters for wives. And a lot of times kings get distracted. But God wants to be our king. And when Jesus comes into the world, he comes as the Christ or Messiah. Christ is not Jesus' last name. It's a title. It means king. Jesus is Lord and King of our life. God wants to be Lord and King of our life. Not only is God your Father, God is supposed to be your Lord. You are actually supposed to do what God tells you to do. It's not just some part of your life that you go to on Sunday and then you can ignore the rest of your week. You need to do what God tells you to do if you're a follower of Jesus. If we follow someone, we try to make our lives like them. So God is the Lord and Almighty of our life. God is also the creator, the maker of everything. But what's amazing, and even in that, as God designs, as God speaks and breathes the world into existence, God invites creation to be a part of the creative process. God tells creation to be fruitful and multiply. So God's even inviting creation itself to help into the creative process. That's how amazing our God is. God does not need us, but God wants us and desires us to be a part of what God is doing. When God finishes creating humans, he tells them that this is your world to rule, to have dominion over. Now, when we think about that, we think about, well, if it's dominion, I can do whatever I want with it. But no, we are still supposed to rule God, or not rule God, sorry, that's a really bad slip up. We're supposed to rule earth as God rules us. And Jesus rules us and says that the one who wants to be first shall be last and kneels down and washes the feet of his disciples. That's how the humility 
that we're supposed to rule our planet. We're supposed to take care of it. We're supposed to love it. We're certainly not supposed to just exploit its resources and ruin it for the next generation. But what's most important in this is that God, our maker and creator, invites you and I to be a part of the creative process. Adam gets to name all the creatures. You have a role in creation. You have a role in what God is doing because God is still creating. God is still making, and God is amazing. So God, our Father, we're saying, I believe in God, our Father, almighty maker of heaven and earth. This is a profound statement. But what does it mean for us? Especially as we think about how do we share our faith with our neighbor? We live in a world where skepticism is really high. You can fake a lot of things. I was watching you know, the internet or checking out the internet the other day, and you can make a video of someone, and it sounds like them, and it looks like them, but it's completely fake, completely digitized. Everything seems like it can be faked. And so we have created a society that is highly skeptical. skeptical. They're highly filled with doubt, especially in something like religion and faith. And so we need to be able to point people to God in small ways and big ways. And I think that what we need to do is to, one of the things we need to do is dispel that there's some sort of conflict between science and faith. Now, there has been, but mainly because we've helped create that. You know, when I was a child, or not a child, I was in high school, my dad's a scientist. He's a chemist, and he was a research chemist. So we were always a very science-based home, but we were always a very faithful home. We went to church every week. We worshiped God. It was a huge part of who we were. So I grew up agreeing with the theory of evolution. And so I was at school one day, and someone came to me and said, I hear you don't believe in Jesus. I was like, what? I go to church every Sunday. I go to church every Wednesday. I'm part of the FCA. I'm a huge believer. And it came down because in physics, I'd mentioned that I'd agreed with the theory of evolution. Whenever we do stuff like that, and we say that you have to believe in this one obscure way of looking at things, then we exclude people from faith. I don't care if you believe in young earth creationism, old earth creationism, or God-designed evolution. What is most important is that you believe that God is the one who created it all, that God designed it, that God is behind it, that God is working all things together, and that God is our creator and maker and wonderful. When you look at the smallest things of the, of the world, look at a, just something as simple as a blade of grass and the deep and wonderful complexity of that blade of grass. Think about how God has designed our universe to be infinitely small, but at the same time, infinitely huge. You know, we keep finding smaller and smaller things. We once thought that Adam was the smallest building block of creation. And then they found protons and neutrons and electrons. But then after that, they kept looking, and now they found all these quantum particles. And they keep looking, and they keep finding things that are smaller and smaller. Our world is infinitely small. But then think about us and, and our relationship to the earth around us and how small we are and how huge the earth is. But the earth is tiny in comparison to our sun. Our sun is tiny in comparison to our galaxy. Our galaxy is tiny in comparison to our universe. And God created it all. So in science, in these things, we can point people to say, there is beauty in creation. There is wonder. You just have to open your eyes. You know, most scientists believe that something had to get it started. It was a Christian scientist. I'm going to look over here to get his name right. It was a Christian scientist, a priest, George Lemaitre, who came up with the theory of the Big Bang because he wanted to show that all 
existence had an origin point that it had a birth, and that God was the one who started that birth. Now, there are some people who try to say that, you know, life happened randomly on earth. I think that's a really, to me, it's a lot easier believing in God than that life happened randomly on earth. One mathematician said that it would be 1 times 10 to the 40,000, 1 times 10 to the 40,000 for life to randomly happen on a planet. So I wanted to give you all a visual example of this, of what this might look like. So I had Michelle bring, of course, I didn't remember, so I had to have my wife do, bring the supplies to make a cake. We got sugar, flour. What else do we need for cake? Eggs. I think she got me eggs. Eggs. Oil. Oil, right? And cocoa, because we're going to make a chocolate cake. We're going to make a three-layer cocoa. So the likelihood of Earth developing on, I mean, life developing on Earth by itself is the same likelihood of us watching these elements of a cake bake themselves. Is that going to work, Ashley? (laughs) It's just not going to happen. Something had to start it. Something had to give it a little push in the right direction. Again, whether that's evolution or it's young earth creationism or old earth creationism, we believe that God was behind it. But don't try to convert someone twice. When I did a college ministry, we used to go and do these vans for people for this huge concert called the Larry Joe Taylor Festival which college students do what college students do, which is drink. And then they would try to drive home, and they would have accidents. So a lot of the Christian ministries would go, and we would pick them up, always have a lot of fun conversations in those vans, <laughs> and bring them back. And one of the point was that if someone was interested, we were supposed to share our faith with them. Whether that's good to do when someone's been drinking, I don't know. But oftentimes, these conversations would devolve into arguments about things like evolution. And so now you're trying to convert someone twice, Once to your scientific worldview, and then to your Christian worldview. Don't add the extra step. Just try to get people to believe that God was behind it, and that God is the designer. But we need to believe these things. We need to think through these things. We need to have hope in God so that we can have those conversations. God is awesome. God tells us the why. Science tells us the how. They don't compete with one another. They enhance and and make one another better. In fact, uh, a lot of physicists, when they get to this point where they're trying to figure out the origins of the universe, they turn to faith because there is no scientific answer on what started it all. The second thing this is important is that we need to have a healthy fear and respect for who God is. God is holy, and God calls us to be holy. But when we have that fear and respect for God, we also have to be reminded that God is with us and that God is for us, that God is our Father, that God wants us to be in relationship. Shortly before the passage I read in Exodus, it tells tells us that the people of Israel cried out to God and God heard their cry. That's the kind of relationship that even though God is the God of the infinitely small and the God of the infinitely huge, God cares about you. And I don't just mean that in a general sense. I mean God cares about you personally, individually. 
And not only do people need to be able to explore these beliefs about science and faith and how all that works together, they need to hear that there is a God who is on their side. I've shared this before, but people ask me, how can I believe in God when there's so many difficult things in this world? And I just say, how can I live in this world where there's so many difficult things if I don't believe in God? And so that's the message people need to hear. So I pray this week that you will reflect on the world that God has made, that you will see the beauty in creation, that you'll take a moment and look at the world around you, look at the flowers, look at the insects and the animals, and think about the universe that God has made and how God has designed it, and see God in creation, so maybe that you can invite someone else to see God in creation. And I pray that you will cry out to God in need when you're hurting and when you're broken, so that you can walk with someone who is crying out in need. And needs to hear that they have a father in heaven who loves them, who cares for them, who has heard their cry and is sending someone to help them. God saved us from our slavery to sin and death. God also calls us into our God-given role to help with God and what God is doing in this world to be sent out so all the world can know the love of his son, Jesus Christ. May you be a people who say, I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and of earth. In the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, amen.